0: Robot.com presents... Dear listeners, are you ready for part three of a story? I hope so, because this is part three of The Showers. After disappearing for five years after posting the first two episodes to Reddit's No Sleep subreddit, Dylan Sindelar recently came back and started updating the story again. This is the first of those updates. And this happens to be the first episode that is available an early access for Patreon backers, so they will be getting this a little bit early. But without any further ado, I present to you The Showers, Part 3. My name is Jack, and some of you may have read or heard a story about me, by me, a few years back writing this from the same shitty laptop that I used to drunkenly post the showers on Reddit a little over five years ago. It has spent the better part of two years at the bottom of a box in my bedroom closet. I haven't had much use for it recently, and it honestly isn't in the best of shape. The damn thing takes about 20 minutes to start up properly and dies the instant it unplugs from its charger. Some of the keys are missing, some of them stick. I've spent a good amount of time clumsily cleaning sugary soft drinks cut with whiskey out of every nook and cranny, But a thing can only take so much abuse before it just goes. Tonight, I got lucky. She managed to boot, just for me. I think she has one more decent story left in her, for better or worse. I don't really remember writing or posting either part of the showers. I do, however, remember feeling simultaneously listless and restless around the time period. I was tremendously unproductive, not working in my chosen field, and had too much free time to spend thinking about those facts. I had told the story to some friends at the bar one night and shaken some memories loose which led to that post. I woke up one evening and hopped on my laptop to find that the story thread was left open. I had typed it directly into the submission box, not leaving myself anything to edit. I just forced it of me over a couple of long, drunken nights and threw it up on the internet for everyone to see. I tried to read it, but even outside of the memories that I would have rather avoided. Each spelling and grammatical error made me want to shoot whiskey or chug bleach. I went with the former, and as I can remember, I have never made it through the whole story as it was written. It seems pointless to go back and read it, even now. I've lived through this all enough times in my head. I don't need to do that to myself. I did read the comments, though. I may have hated myself, but seeing a bit of interest in my work gave my ego a boost, if only for a moment. I went back every now and then to check on them but for the most part I was forced to continue on with my stagnant life while the story spread quietly around the web. I worked as a bartender at the time and split my free hours between sleeping and drinking. These occasionally overlapped or synced up with work. It was a vicious little loop I had carved for myself. I wasn't a writer like I had hoped to be at that point in my life, so getting to play one on the internet for a few minutes every now and then helped to break the monotony of reality. Over the course of the next several months, I received several emails and friend requests from old classmates or strangers who had taken an interest in my story. My former classmates' messages generally consisted of their memories of Mr. Mays and his story, asking nothing in return. I would guessed that most of them were either married or lost and needed a dose of nostalgia as a pick-me-up. Who could blame them? Though some of them actually wanted to meet up, grab drinks, and really get into the past. I lived half a continent away from the town where I attended Mr. Mays' class at that point, but that didn't stop me from making empty offers of company to several different people if our paths were to ever cross. I did wind up grabbing a beer with one guy who was just passing through on some summer night in Denver, but it wasn't what I was expecting. I'm 99% sure he had never met Mr. Mays or myself. He dodged specifics when I asked him questions and repeated a lot of my statements back to me in agreement. I remember him nodding his head a lot and saying, Yeah, that's right, over and over again. But he was picking up the tab, so I didn't notice a lot of this until the next afternoon. That was also the last time I met up with anyone from the internet. I also got a surprising number of requests for the specific coordinates of the showers from a wide variety of personalities. There were people offering money, transport, and even what was essentially militia support if I would take them there. Like, it was some sort of guided tour... I turned them down, but would be lying if I said I didn't consider accepting some cash in exchange for the coordinates of any random barn I could pull up on Google Maps. I didn't, though. As foreign and surreal as the whole thing was, I did take pretty immediate notice of the power it gave me over people. It felt like I was back around a campfire with a group of friends hanging on my every word, but with a much larger audience. It all started innocently enough. I would be out with a friend, looking for some decent conversation or a better lay. My friend would bring up the showers and ask me to tell the story. Then I would fight him on it for a bit before caving, ordering another round and launching into some variation of the bit. It really did work like a charm. It seemed like every time I went out I ended up with a new friend or another notch on my belt. I hardly had to try. I was just drunkenly wandering down memory lane. After a while I had narrowed my sights, only bringing out the story for certain people for very specific ends. I used it to get laid. It's as simple as that. I would talk to a girl for a little while, get to know her just enough, take a guess at some of her fears, and work them into the climax of the story. I've faced down ghosts, encountered demons, and even had spiders rain down on me from the shower heads. But I made it out intact every time, if only ever so slightly worse for wear. I was just damaged enough from the experience that a pretty girl might feel some sympathy for me, which I would thank her for while reaching out for her hands, or maybe grabbing her leg. All roads led to the same place, hers. I would stumble back to my barren apartment every afternoon, throw on some different clothes, and head back out to the bar. Whether it was for work or play, didn't really matter. Like I said, all roads. I don't know how long I spent in this piece-of-shit phase, but I do know that Karen broke me out of it. Initially, she was just the next in a long line of women I had yet to woo. We met at a bar where I told her a story, which led to her place. But instead of passing out after sex, we stayed up and talked. It didn't feel like needless bullshit either. I felt like she understood me, and I her. In reality, I think we just both liked getting really messed up and swapping stories about our shitty childhoods and mental ailments with someone else so that we wouldn't have to make excuses for being alone. We actually did have the mental stuff in common though. Two different kinds of bipolar disorder. We thought that in some strange way it meant that we were perfect for each other. I don't need to be told how stupid that sounds. Karen also had a degree in political science from Rutgers, a wicked right hook, and one of the most persuasive and charismatic personalities that I have ever encountered. I worry that sort of thing isn't going to come across here because of what this is all ultimately leading to. I just don't want to do her a disservice. We didn't end up together for a year and a half because we were awful for each other. At that point in my life, I was both lost and an asshole. I had turned her into a concept or an archetype in my head. She was the Nancy to my Sid, the Bonnie to my Clyde, and we were probably headed down the same path as both couples. I guess looking back, I had fit her into the awful manic pixie dream girl trope in my head. I was a lost guy looking for a girl with hair the color of a mood ring to solve the complex problem that was me. On any given day she was the love of my life and my partner in crime. The next day she was my antagonist, an obstacle to overcome. It was all part of the story that I had seen play out in movies and books so many times before, but in the end it was me trying to fit a square peg in a non-existent hole. She made me feel good about myself though. I'm pretty sure I loved her. It's just that I was simultaneously loving and using her without really realizing what I was doing. This isn't to say that she didn't get use out of me. She started coming over to my place after we had spent a couple of nights together and never really left. Items of her clothing and toiletries started showing up around the apartment and I just kind of went with it. There was one night where I brought up how we had never actually talked about living together before it had already happened. That night somehow ended with both of us blacking out in tears. But by the time happy hour rolled around the next evening, we were as good as new. It wasn't an issue at the time, we just sort of fell in together. I know this probably sounds unhealthy, and it was. I've gotten off track. Karen took a great interest in my stories. The showers particularly interested her because she had come across a reading of it on a podcast or YouTube channel and knew about it before she had even met me. She thought I was messing with her at the bar, trying to take credit for a story someone else had lived, but I was able to convince her and she didn't let it go after that. After long nights, we would lay in bed together and she would ask me to tell her the story again. Like some sort of morbid bedtime story. Each time I told it to her, I would embellish a little more or shake loose a new memory pulled from deep within my imagination. I don't know if she actually believed it or she just wanted to, but it became our thing. But of course, the story eventually wasn't enough. She wanted to live it. Can we go there? Let's go to the showers. She wanted us to go together and face them down, like some sort of boss fight. She constantly told me that it would be good for me to go back there and get perspective. She was convinced it would help me pick up writing again. Karen always told me that I had such good ideas, but that something helped me back from letting them loose. She genuinely wanted to help, but I couldn't see how this would do that. Now it seems obvious. I think another aspect of her interest in the showers was just honest fixation. We both had a tendency to key in on a particular subject and dig deep into it until there was nothing of interest left to uncover. This meant that her attention generally burned intensely before quickly fizzling out. My refusal to indulge her one last wish and take her there kept her going. She would strategically pick the moments where I was just drunk enough to loosen my lips, but not so drunk that I was off in my own world to ask about the place. Occasionally she would bring up a piece of information I had told her about the showers while blacked out that would resonate with me enough to put my arm hair on edge. Even if I couldn't conjure the memory while sober, my body recognized it. I knew she was getting closer to something in me that I didn't want to address, but I never stopped her outright. I don't know if I even believed my own story anymore, I just felt a bit sick when I thought about it. She persisted, using every method in the book to try to convince me to take her there. Every new detail, real or otherwise, would motivate her to push me harder on the subject. It was the middle of winter when I caved. We were living in Fort Collins, Colorado at this time, which was only a short drive from Broken Bow, Nebraska. I had still maintained my ground when it came to making a trip there, claiming that I didn't remember that we didn't have the time and that I had forgotten exactly how to get to the farmhouse, which were both partially true. But like I said, she knew when she could get to me best. We were sat on the couch following a long night of bar hopping and friend drama. Luckily, we had found ourselves on the same side of this particular situation which meant that the night was going to close quietly. We were snuggled together under a blanket and watching the Coen Brothers 2013 flick Inside Lewin Davis. Well, Karen was watching while I split my time between nodding off and attempting to read a screenplay that a friend of mine had sent me. I'd seen the film a half dozen times at this point. In it, a struggling folk singer loses his way after his partner commits suicide. Spoilers. Karen and I shared a mutual fascination with the subject of suicide, so it was only a matter of time before one of us said something. "'I would hate to jump off of a bridge, I think,' she said. "'There's a chance you live when you're hitting water, and you'd wind up, what, paralyzed or something? I guess I'd feel, like, an even bigger waste of space if I couldn't even kill myself properly.' I wasn't sure if she actually wanted to get into it or not, but I bit." I couldn't jump, I said, pulling her closely and closing my eyes. That's way too much build-up and pressure. Too much time to regret it when you're falling. It wasn't a taboo subject with us. It's difficult to explain to those unfamiliar with lifelong suicidal ideation, but discussing it in blunt and honest terms is comforting. When faced with it every single day, familiarizing oneself with something typically viewed as morbid was its own sort of victory. We shined a light on it. Know your enemy and whatnot. Even if it were concrete or lava below me, I couldn't do it. I don't want anything flashy, honestly. Give me benzos and a couple of pints of chivas and I'll go gentle, I said. Maybe I would jump, Karen thought out loud. But I would do it from a plane. I just want that one last rush of adrenaline. You could stay alive and get a lot more of that, I replied. Not with those kinds of stakes, she had a point. I just wanted to be quiet. Let me drink myself to death with a book and some relaxing music to play me out, I sighed. Probably some bright eyes, I don't know. Kieran was quiet for a while. A character in the film overdosed in a bathroom stall and she spoke up. I just don't want to go like that. At the very least, I'd want to be around friends or even family if no one else is available. I was nodding off. Kind of like your teacher. I stirred. She hadn't brought up the story in a while, and when she did, she never let into it with Mr. Mays. "'I guess,' I said. "'If I fell asleep, she would be forced to leave it be for tonight.' "'Let's go, bub,' she said. "'Go where?' "'You know,' I knew. "'Liquor stores closed,' I grumbled. "'Nebraska. "'It's late. "'Next week. "'I'll take it off work. "'I'll get someone to drive us.' "'Why would anyone want to drive us to Nebraska?' "'Brian seems interested. "'In Nebraska? "'In your story. "'You could write about it. "'It's been a while since you've written. "'I could bring my camera.' From the way that you described it, I'm sure that I can get some good pictures. I was getting uncomfortable, but that was offset by my exhaustion. I don't want to go. I didn't put up much of a fight. Please? For me? We never go anywhere, and the apartment gets stuffy, and it is my birthday next month. Okay, all right, I said, trying to appease her so that I could drift off. But what about the cat? The next thing I knew, we were packed up and leaving the comforts of home for Nebraska. I said yes to the trip and then fallen asleep. By the time I woke up the following afternoon, Karen had already secured one of her friends as our chauffeur and was requesting time off work that would fit my schedule. She was so happy, and I was on quite a bit of Xanax, but I wanted to keep the good times rolling. With our schedules and switching moods, happy was sometimes hard to come by, so I thought about that as we packed up my car. I was asleep before we made it out of town. I woke up in another dimension. The view out my window was an icy tundra that hurt my eyes. I hadn't seen that much sun in months and the ice amplified it. Our friend Brian was behind the wheel of my shitty 2005 Ford Escape as we flew down the interstate towards Broken Bow. Everyone called him the responsible one in our group of friends because he wouldn't get behind the wheel after drinking any booze at all. What only Karen and I knew was that he would be high as a kite while driving us all home and telling how he was the only one of us not destined for a DUI. But he hadn't been in an accident yet, so we didn't say a word. Karen sat shotgun with a sonic cup in her lap. If I knew her, which I did, she had poured out three quarters of her drink and filled the rest of the cup with vodka. She noticed after a minute that I had woken up. Hey, bub. Sleep well? She asked, turning around in her seat to face me. A vapor of vodka with a hint of cherry limeade flooded my nostrils and burned my eyes. Karen refused to travel long distances without what she affectionately called a roadie. She had adopted the term from her late father who had killed himself when she was 14. He had opened his wrists over the sink in the bathroom while Karen was doing homework in her upstairs bedroom, and Karen's mom was doing an intern in her office at work. Her preoccupation with suicide at least came from somewhere logical. She had always idolized Randy, her dad, and hadn't spoken to her mother in a decade. She told me this story often, frequently reinforcing the idea that any of her idiosyncrasies read, bad habits that related to Randy were exempt from criticism. I made my only sensible move in this situation. Did you get me one? Extra cup is for you, my dear. Half and half. She winked and handed me the styrofoam cup of cure-all. I needed it. My jaw was throbbing. I've always had a problem with grinding my teeth in my sleep. It was so bad growing up that my canines actually grew outward like vampire teeth. It hadn't been an issue in some time. I figured that the previous night of partying alongside the anxiety about the trip had just taken a toll. I took a sip of the drink and winced. It was about one-quarter limeade and three-quarters cheap vodka. Burnets, I groaned. I guess it fits the scenery, Karen laughed. Nothing except the frost-covered remains of last season's harvest and frozen dirt surrounded us for miles. I stared out over the miles of repetitious backdrop for a couple of hours. Barren earth occasionally gave way to tufts of shorn trees that reached futilely towards the gray heavens above, seemingly ignored. They now resembled petrified roots that had aggressively snuffed out any hint of life that had once inhabited their numbers. Every now and then I was able to spot the rusting remnants of a vehicle or a crumbling shed hidden amongst the branches, surely soon to be overtaken by the vindictive woodland. The three of us passed the time by fiddling with a barely functioning tape-to-auxiliary cord converter so that we could play music off of our phones. Unfortunately, even when we had gotten that to work, it was still a crapshoot thanks to a spotty 4G connection on the planes. Karen and I chain-smoked camel menthol cigarettes, much to Brian's chagrin. He smoked too, but would only touch the baby blue packs of American Spirits, which were all-natural and burned for an eternity. Smoking anything else, he believed, was just asking for cancer. The drive was familiar and had me wandering through foggy memories of my last trip to Broken Bow. I was frustrated and getting a bit uncomfortable because of the haze, so I had to drink about it. My own head was keeping me in the dark. Brian and Karen, despite having heard the story of the showers tens of times by this point, prodded me for new details once we had crossed the state line into Nebraska. I managed to dodge their inquisition by telling them about how it was a violation of tradition to listen to a band while on the way to the concert. This eased the pressure a bit but my teeth were grinding and my jaw was aching. This place was bringing something out in me, leaving me anxious and reflexively defensive. Brian had grown up in New Jersey, and despite the relative emptiness of the two-lane highway, he was driving like he was still there. I had no problem with sweeping across lanes without a signal, speeding, or rapidly jerking left and right to exit the interstate on any regular day. As uncomfortable as it might be to avoid the eye contact of an angry truck driver that Brian had cut off, We always got to our destination significantly faster than the GPS estimated. However, today, his highway practices were making me queasy. The honks from several angry passerby got to be too much, and I threw in my headphones and pulled my beanie over my eyes in an attempt at sensory deprivation. I ended up drifting off after a bit. I had a dream that felt vaguely familiar, but I hadn't remembered my dreams in years so I couldn't be sure. I was back at the bar I frequented during college. "'the same place where I had last met Mr. Mays almost a decade ago. "'The voices of the faceless patrons around the two of us were muted. "'I sat next to my deceased former teacher who was sporting a sweater that read, "'I'm the birthday boy!' "'Mr. Mays looked up at me from a drink, "'eyes bloodshot from holding his booze and holding back tears. "'He didn't say anything, "'but I slowly recalled the conversation between the two of us from years ago, "'which rang through my head loud enough to fill the silence. "'I remembered his friend, the one they had lost.' Mr. Mays looked away from me and into his drink. He didn't look back up. I heard a noise like dripping water that echoed around the bar. Looking in front of me, I found a highball glass that was filled to the brim with what I guessed to be whiskey. Without a second thought, I threw it back. It didn't sit well. I pursed my lips and sat it back on the table as the lights around the bar began to dim from the outside in. I rubbed my eyes and breathed deep to quell the nausea, but it wasn't working. The room continued to dim as the dripping noise rang out around me once again. I looked up at the glass before me to find it filled again, the liquid still rippling from a recent pour. Another drop fell from above, breaking the surface tension and spilling drink all over the bar top. I looked up to see a shower head, hanging just beyond the light, dripping liquid. The sound of violently shaking pipes echoed around me and the shower head began to shake. It began to erupt just as I was pulled back to reality with a jolt. I panicked and thrashed out for a moment. My knee and arm cracked as I moved about, adjusting once again to the real world. Whoa, bubs, easy now, said Karen with a chuckle. We had parked at a rest stop. Brian must have pulled in too quickly and hit the curb, which is what had woken me up. I tasted cherry limeade crawling up the back of my throat and felt my stomach rumble. We're outside of Hastings, don't know how far. "'Use the restroom now or forever hold your peas,' said Karen. I opened the car door and the icy wind pushed it against me, slamming my foot in the door. Annoyed, I pushed back and rushed across the lot to the surprisingly bustling rest area. I did my business and washed my hands, attempting to ignore the leaking shower heads in the stalls at the back of the room. I felt every drop in my chest. I hadn't had anxiety like this in ages. The nausea had come with me from the dream, and I gagged slightly at the sink.' I closed my eyes and breathed deeply, pulling a flask from my jacket pocket and looking around me to gauge the judgment I was about to receive. The truckers around me didn't take a second look, but a father who was changing his infant at the station near the door shot me a look. Maybe he didn't. I'm not sure why I cared. It wasn't going to stop me. One of the showers in the back turned on full blast. I took a pull from the flask and, unlike my dream, my stomach relaxed and the gagging ceased cleared my throat of whatever had built up prior to the nip of whiskey and spit it into the sink. It was a bright shade of red. I didn't panic. I just needed to eat at some point. I pushed back through the line of people that had gathered at the restroom door and jogged out back to the car. Karen was sitting inside with the window cracked, holding a dying cigarette halfway out the window. When she saw me, she flicked it out and rolled the window up, gesturing for me to hurry up. I hopped inside and we were back on the interstate within seconds. Don't fall asleep on us again, bub. We're really going to need you to steer us from here, I think, Karen said. Just get us to Broken Bow, I said, staring out over some of the harvested fields that looked like they had been burnt. I'll guide us from there. I guess I did do tours. We continued down the interstate for a while while Brian and Karen sung songs and I sat in the backseat working, trying to ground myself. We're going to need some gas if we're going to be hunting for this place in the boonies, said Brian. He broke my concentration. "'Well, there are only about ten gas stations in the entire state, so exit where you can,' I said. I caught the tail end of a sign that read Broken Bow, but didn't catch the other information. Within minutes, Brian was exiting the highway and pulling into what appeared to be a gas station. It had the pumps out front and a small convenience store, but behind it was a rickety single-story house. The design was Victorian, but it was faded and chipped to all hell. Some of the windows appeared to be busted in, the holes stuffed with assorted cloths and rags.' I felt a sense of recognition as I stepped out of the car and began to pump gas. Karen was running inside to grab snacks as Brian shouted after her. "'Get me sunflower seeds!' he yelled. She was already inside. Brian looked to me. "'Jack? Sunflower seeds? Please and thanks, man.' He closed the door behind him before I was able to tell him that I wasn't going inside. I grumbled as I walked into the old station. Brian was driving us, so I couldn't get too upset with him barking orders. I was just irritable and all over the place. The building had a familiar musty smell to it that, much to my surprise, started to help clear away some of the fog that had been bugging me. I was pretty sure I had been to this particular gas station before. I figured that was pretty likely considering where we were and the aforementioned lack of stops in the area. It was a neat coincidence, that's what I told myself. Karen was up at the counter cheerily chatting with a young girl who couldn't have been much older than eighteen about something or other. The girl was talking to Karen, but staring daggers at me the entire time. She wasn't even subtle about it. I figured I looked nervous and sweaty, so I didn't blame her for keeping an eye on me. But it still made me uncomfortable, and I found myself grinding my teeth. I was attempting to work the pain out of my jaw muscles with my knuckle while aimlessly wandering the aisles, when Karen asked the young lady at the counter point-blank, What do you know about the showers? The woman didn't miss a beat. "'People don't deal with anything relating to that sort of business around here anymore,' she said. "'My legs locked up, and I turned my head towards her. "'She was staring directly at me, despite Karen being directly in front of her. "'That was all a long time ago.' "'Her eyes remained locked on me. "'I felt the pain in my jaw pulse, and my stomach lurched. "'This was not possible. "'Consciously and unconsciously, I was rejecting the overwhelming feeling of déjà vu. "'I raced for the small hallway in the back of the store.' I held my stomach and refused to look up at the woman, but I could feel her gaze on me still as Karen pressed her unsuccessfully for more information. I managed to get through the door and locked it behind me before falling to my knees and onto the toilet that sat only a few feet in front of me. I could feel my stomach clench tightly over and over again, but nothing was coming out. I was violently dry heaving and struggling to breathe. With the pressure behind my eyes and skull building, I forced a finger down my throat. I thought that if I could just get whatever this was out of me, I would feel so much better. I was choking on my own finger and seeing stars, eyes on the verge of bursting before I gave up. I didn't need to pass out in a gas station bathroom. That sounded too close to rock bottom for comfort. I sat back, my body lightly glazed with sweat, and concentrated hard on a number of deep breaths in an effort to get my vision to stabilize was a half-assed version of a grounding technique for anxiety that i had picked up at some point i could feel the pressure release as i wiped away the torrent of tears that had wet my face my eyes finally focused on a green picture frame next to the mirror above the sink the picture frame read you can't choose them, you just gotta love them, and featured what appeared to be three generations of women laughing while posing outside of a large green farmhouse the youngest of the three i recognized as the woman at the counter just outside Next to her was what I guessed to be her mother. Next to the mother was someone familiar. It was a sweet old woman in a sundress. The same dress that she had been wearing when I had ventured into this shop with my friend Steve many years ago. The three of us had a nice conversation about the town and our post-college trip until our motives for staying in Broken Bow were made clear. When she found out that we were in search of the showers, her demeanor changed and she had given us a stern and very measured answer People don't deal with anything related to that sort of business around here anymore. That was all a long time ago. I got to my feet, my head spinning, and splashed some water on my face. I had burst a capillary in my right eye. It was blood-red, dilated, and raining tears. I looked like a mess, but didn't care. After spitting up a bit of red into the sink, I walked out into the hallway shooting one last glance at the picture just to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. It was still the same old woman. I was definitely losing my mind. I quickly made my way towards the door, knocking bags of sunflower seeds and sticks of jerky onto the floor. Karen was still talking with the girl at the counter. The girl was no longer looking at me. Was she ever? If I didn't know Karen, I would have assumed that she was hitting on the girl. But that's just how she was. She had a way with people you feeling okay? Karen looked me up and down with a concerned look on her face. The girl at the counter stared at her. Did you get sick? I looked at Karen, the girl, Karen again, out towards the car, and back at Karen. Must have eaten something bad, I said glancing up at the girl. Bad stomach, medications. She looked at me and calmly nodded, understanding. She seemed to sense that something else was going on, but I didn't care. Thanks have a good day, I said, bolting out the door. The bell above me rang. I could feel it in my jaw. Karen followed after giving the girl some sort of excuse for my behavior. Hey, hey, Karen caught up with me before I got to the car. What's up with you? I'm just tired, I said. She saw through that. I took a nip that went down the wrong pipe and got a little sick. It happens, just wanted to avoid her judgy eyes. I gestured back towards the door. I mean, this is Jesus country, and I feel like she would try to walk me through a pamphlet or something." Karen appeared to buy it, and we continued towards the car. I'm not looking to get saved anytime time soon, I laughed. Who needs Jesus when you have me as your guardian angel, Karen said with an exaggerated smile and wink. I faked a gag. You're going to make me sick again, I said. She kissed me on the cheek and hopped into the passenger seat of the car. Brian had put on a Dandy Warhol's album and was jamming by himself. "'I'd like to thank you, my dear, in less than a year,' he sang poorly. "'Are we good to go, team?' Karen took control of the phone and switched the song. Bohemian Like You blasted through the speakers. "'Let's bounce,' said Karen, putting her sunglasses on and lighting a cigarette. I tried not to look back as we drove away from the gas station." Give me a bit to post the next section. This is all getting out as soon as possible. This week's episode has been The Showers Part 3 by Dylan Sindelar. Thanks as always to Travis for the recommendation. Our intro and outro music is Coffin by Modem. Our ambient backing track is provided by YouTube user Thrill Show X. And I, as always, am your narrator, Ryan Shrimp. If you like this story and want to hear more of it, I highly suggest you subscribe to this podcast for updates. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all of them, Spotify, all those things. So you have plenty of options. Also, if you would like to gain early access to our stories, I wrongly said it was the $10 tier last week. It is the $5 tier that gets you early access to episodes uh, on our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com creepypodsta. And if you have a story that you'd like to hear narrated here, email it to pasta at creepypodsta.com. Thank you so much for listening and sleep tight.